Hey there, welcome back to the JW Forwardcast, the show that helps former Jehovah's Witnesses and other former members of cults and high control groups put their lives back together and become the people they were always supposed to be. I'm your host, Covert Fade, and I'll be joined shortly by Alice Cheshire, a former Jehovah's Witness and now a professional life coach. We'll be chatting in today's show about how to overcome the fear of failure, a problem that many ex-JWs have due to certain aspects of JW indoctrination. We'll also be answering a fantastic question from one of our listeners. And after that, I'll be giving you a quick preview of some of the exciting things we have coming up in future episodes. So settle back, grab a tea or a coffee or a cup of whatever your favourite poison is, and enjoy the show. So I'm back and joining me again for today's episode is Alice Cheshire. Alice, how are you doing today? Hello, I'm very well, thank you. Apart from the fact that it is a baking day in London, like the temperature, well, as all everyone will know, the temperature has just been a heat wave um, for the last couple of months <laughs> and I am well and truly baked and boiling but apart from that i'm absolutely fine yeah and, and if you can hear a drill in the background apparently some literally as i pushed record on the forward cast this week somebody decided to start using power tools outside mm. so if you do hear that someone you know someone's building a house um in the area we're doing this but that actually brings us on to something else is that me and alice are actually in the same room where we are we're experimenting with new technology so it's possible that we may sound better than the previous episode, and it's possible that we may sound worse, but hopefully either way, we'll sound interesting. <laughs> How can we possibly sound better than the previous episode? What? Previous episode was conducted over the internet, on Skype, with dodgy sound. <laughs> Come on. Yeah, with a BT dial-up connection. Yes, exactly. Cool. So here we are. Welcome back, everyone. And... Um, as always, we're going to talk about a specific topic which we think is of interest to um, former Jehovah's Witnesses. And we settled today on dealing with a fear of failure. Um, the reason we brought this up is that this is actually something that a lot of former Jehovah's Witnesses seem to have, like a, a real dread of trying things in case it goes wrong. I know it's something I've certainly struggled from. And like many of the problems that... Um, that stemmed from kind of the, the bad conditioning that the witnesses put into my head, it was something that I didn't really realise I had because it's always been with me. So it's only when I, I noticed that other people didn't seem to have this problem that I realised this was an issue, as an issue I needed to address in myself. Alice, um, did you experience this kind of elevated fear of failure when you left the Jehovah's Witnesses and while you were in the religion? Yeah, I, I really did. And I think it's... Um it's one of, so so when we say so when I hear fear of failure, <clears throat> you know this can be something that's really quite major. You know, like failing fa- failing completely in your life and everything falling apart. Or actually, it could be those smaller things. You know, like not you know going for a job interview and not getting the job, or um, making an idiot of yourself, or something like that. Mm-hmm. So fear of failure. I, I think for me certainly it was that whole range of spectrum. Um, it, it was the big things and it was the small things. Um, certainly when I was in the religion, um, <clears throat> not so much a fear of failure, but a fear of doing something wrong, a mm. fear of, yeah. of sinning, a fear of um, being found out and being caught out for doing something wrong, um, fear of letting people down because I'd made a mistake, fear of making a mistake, yeah. I think, is, is you know that might 
obviously it depends on the words that resonate with you but certainly fear of making a mistake fear of doing the wrong thing fear of choosing the wrong path can be certainly something that I experienced when I was in the religion and then it's also something that I felt after I left that again I think a little bit similar to you it wasn't something that I was actually cognizant of for a very long time until I looked back and thought actually I haven't moved anywhere I haven't done anything. I'm not going anywhere. Mm. I'm petrified of making a mistake, so I'm not doing anything. I'm petrified of doing the wrong thing, so I'm just standing still. Still. Mm. So yeah, I absolutely can totally re- relate to this one. Yeah, and it's interesting as well. You brought up the point that, that fear of fear of failure and fear of making a mistake and fear of sinning. They're all, mm. in some ways, they're all slightly different things, but they have an overlap, a strong overlap. Yeah. Um, and as we're going to see, there's a, there's a reason why many Jehovah's Witnesses, former Jehovah's Witnesses, suffer this. Mm. Um, like I'm sure the guy who's working power tools right now has got a real fear of you know dropping something <laughs> on his head and knocking himself unconscious. Or cutting cut his know. fingers off with, yeah. the, with the head trimming. Exactly. It's, it's yeah. not at all that we're wishing harm on this guy because he's just going about <laughs> his normal daily business while we're trying to record a podcast. I think it's quite nice, actually, because, you know, it's like I say, it's a hot summer's day in London. <laughs> you know, we've got the door open. People are going about their daily lives out there. Yeah. You know, I yeah. think actually it's quite, it's, you know, it, it adds it adds colour. It actually is. And, and to be honest, it's actually quite, uh, I quite like the idea of, you know, I wish I was better with power tools and a handyman because I like the idea of being able to build things. Mm. So I, to be honest, I'm speaking from jealousy. That what, did, did the RBC not teach you that? The RBC <laughs> taught me how to turn up, try and look attractive to sisters, and um, basically not do very much. And it didn't really work on any of those counts. In fact, oh, there's a whole... You know what? Take a drink, people. <laughs> we are going to be discussing RBC stuff at some point, because it's quite an interesting little part of the witness culture. Oh, God, yeah. Absolutely. Um, but dealing with a fear of failure, um, and that fear of making a mistake, a fear mm. of sinning... This, obviously, this is, this is a problem for many XJWs for a reason. Um, and this is because the Watchtower Bible and Tract Society puts many bad, um, bad uh, mindsets into you. And one of them is this fear of failure. Alice, why do you think Jehovah's Witnesses have this problem? Well, I think there's a couple of different things. And obviously, we've been talking before, and I know that we've both, we, we both sort of came to quite similar conclusions on this when we were talking about it. Um, so I'll go with the first one that, that, that I sort of came up with, which is essentially when you're, um, particularly when you're growing up, you know, I can remember being a little girl and mm. being told by my parents to behave myself, not only in the JW world at meetings or whatever, but at school as well. You know, I had to be perfect at school. I couldn't get told off because if I did, I was going to bring reproach on Jehovah's name. Mm. And I remember it vividly. You know, you, you, are, you are his representative. You represent him at school. You're one of his chosen people. Therefore, you must be perfect. You cannot be anything less than perfect. And I distinctly remember one time that I got told off in class. And actually, it wasn't even my fault. But anyway, that's an entirely different story. And we can just let that go. But I got told off in class. And I remember being so unbelievably terrified of going home and telling my parents that I'd been told off in class. You know, most kids wouldn't even think, they wouldn't even tell their parents. They wouldn't even say anything. But the guilt and the, the waves of sickness that came over me because I knew I had to go home and tell them I'd been less than perfect because I'd sh- not only had I shown them up, but I'd shown Jehovah up mm. and I was a, a, a bad witness. Yeah. And that, that 
particularly I think if you've been born into the truth and you've gone through that sort of discipline Mm. um, it's possibly a little bit different if you came into the truth maybe in later life but particularly as a child when you're disciplined the discipline that is used is shame yeah. Because if you do something yeah. wrong, you are causing shame to Jehovah God. And shame is such a powerful, horrible emotion. And even yeah. as I'm saying it, I can feel my whole body kind of screwing up, thinking about that horrible feeling of, oh my God, I did something wrong. Mm. So they're linking, that's one aspect where they're linking that powerful fear of shame with your concept of failure. So yes. you failed and it's shameful. Yeah. There's something else that I think was that Jehovah's Witnesses... The Bible is obviously a book, um, a very, a very big book that has a lot of stuff in it, and there are, there's a lot of stuff in the Bible that's very merciful and very forgiving, and that's very humanistic. And there's a lot of stuff in the Bible that's a bit you made a mistake, so now you're going to get a spear through your head, mm. um, and or eaten by a bear, or eaten by a bear, or have something horrible happen to you, or your children are going to be killed, or your children are going to be killed. And obviously, I know various different um, Christian faiths look at, you know, interpret various parts of the Bible in different ways. But the Jehovah's Witnesses really like the parts of the Bible where people get punished for making a mistake. Um, those are the bits they tend to home in on. So we're frequently, I mean, I remember my book of Bible stories, you really get to, you know, Moses makes a mistake and strikes the rock. He makes one mistake and he, he's gone from the promised land forever. Um, all the you know people make a wrong choice and they're punished for it. Yeah. Failure, failure has horrible consequences, yeah. and I think that that carries through into a lot of the way that Jehovah's Witnesses actually run their organisation. Um, because making a mistake or being a failure isn't just okay. Well, learn from your mistake, and the next time maybe you know don't do that. They can sh- throw out and shun you for it. So if you make a mistake and smoke a cigarette. Or if you, you know, inverted commas, make a mistake and keep watching films you're not supposed to watch. Or if you try gambling or if you are attracted to somebody and sleep with them. Um, these are all decisions which people can make, which, which other people may look at and think, oh, you know, I, I wish I hadn't slept with that person or I wish I hadn't smoked that cigarette or I wish I hadn't this. But it's actually no big deal. They just learn from it and move on. For Jehovah's Witnesses, you may lose everyone you love. And do you remember as well, um, and I was thinking about this the other day, do you remember when you would sit in the hall and they would announce from the platform that somebody had been reproved? Oh, yeah. Do you remember listening to that? And at the time, I it was it, as as a sort of you know fully in JW. Someone's been reproved, <gasps> and it was the worst thing ever. Yeah. For the, you know you 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 felt oh my god how could they have possibly done something? You know the yeah. level of judgment that came mm. with those announcements. You think back at that, you know how, how they, how everybody was collectively expected to feel about somebody who's made a yeah. mistake. Yeah, it's, it's one of those occasions where they kind of highlight the passage from when Jesus spoke about judging, not lest you be judged. They kind of highlight that and dial it down into small font. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> on certain occasions, yeah. well, like, we just put that to one side. Right? Like, no, yeah. put that to one side. Yeah. Judge away, people. Yes, exactly. And the other thing I think, obviously, one of the key doctrines of Jehovah's Witnesses is the doctrine of Armageddon. And that's God's going to turn up and kill everyone who's making mistakes. Mm -hmm. And possibly even some of the Jehovah's Witnesses. There's actually quite a lot of Watchtower literature. and You'll hear a lot of um, talks that are given. I mean, recently Anthony Morris has has done a couple um, where they imply that, you know what, not all Jehovah's Witnesses are going to survive because maybe they're making mistakes. Maybe they're not 100% perfect. Mm -hmm. So literally you go through life as a witness thinking every little slip up, you make might be that might be the slip up that just tips the balance 
And whereas before you might have scraped through and, and avoided murderage by an all-powerful God, mm. now you're going to get some serious murderage mm. because of that. Maybe that one mistake was just one mistake too much. Yeah. And it's um, and as as I've said, you know, there, there's many different um, there's there's many different religions. There's many different um, religions who look at the Bible. Um, uh, but Jehovah's Witnesses are definitely a, a religion that look at the Bible and they take, they really like to put emphasis on the judgmental parts mm. and other areas of the Bible that maybe are more forgiving, they will talk about, but they're not really the things you, you walk away from focusing on once you start mm. to become a Jehovah's Witness. Mm. So we've looked at why many former Jehovah's Witnesses have this, this problem, this fear of failure. Um, the question might arise, why should I even try to overcome this fear, though? Is What's actually the problem? Why should I push against something? Because oh, overcoming a fear of failure is uncomfortable. In fact, it might take a lot of effort. You know, it might be quite scary. So why should I even try to do something that's uncomfortable and scary? Um, Alice, what do you think are some key reasons why somebody really does need to conquer that fear of failure and fear of making a mistake when it comes to decisions in life? Well, I've got a short answer and a long answer. Okay. My short answer is, if you want to go through the rest of your life uh, in a nice, safe little bubble and never feel fear any fear again and have all com- uh, decisions taken away from you and never have to be scared, you might as well go back to the cult. Just get your ass back in there right now. If you really want your life to be like that, then what are you doing here? But actually, my suggestion would be the fact that you have escaped and the fact that you have made a decision to do something different with your life means that you're not that person. You're not that person who wants to go through life, you know, in a safe little bubble, never trying anything, never never, never winning anything or succeeding at anything. That's not you. So on a grander scheme of things, if you left the cult, that means you want something more for your life. Not just for you, but for your family, maybe for your children as well. You want to live a bigger life, a better life. And so in order to push through uh, or in order to move forward, you're going to have to feel this fear and you're going to have to say, "Okay, I'm scared, but I'm going to do this anyway. Feel the fear and do it anyway, which is, you know, a phrase that we hear a lot. And we're going to come on to that a bit more in a bit. But if, if, if you want to make all the pain and all the heartache of leaving the cult, all that effort that you took to get out, all those sleepless nights, all those horrible conversations that you had, all of the, the family that you've hurt and maybe the people that you now don't see because they're choosing to shun you. If you're going to make all of that worthwhile, then you owe it to yourself to have the biggest, best life ever. Mm. And if you're going to have the biggest, best life ever, you're going to have to do some scary shit. Yeah, thank you. There's actually a good quote. Um, I've actually got a link I'm going to put into the show notes, which links to a Forbes article. And it's an article that's basically just full of really good quotes about overcoming the fear of failure. And there's a quote by Dennis Waitley, which I really like, um, which says, Failure should be our teacher, not our undertaker. Failure is delay, not defeat. It is a temporary detour, not a dead end. Failure is something we can avoid only by saying nothing, doing nothing, and being nothing. So to to echo what you were saying, Alex, if somebody really 
has dreams for their life, if there are things they want to achieve and goals they want to strike out for and experiences they want to have, it is inevitable that you're going to at some point experience failure. And if your fear of experiencing failure is preventing you from living the life that you could have and the experiences you could have and being the person you could be, that is basically something that's you need to overcome um, because you know don't just sit there and let failure rob you of all the things you could have with your life and I, I think you know it's some, something to kind of emphasize here is is we're sort of thinking oh how do we overcome the fear of failure how do we overcome fear well the bottom line is you're always going to be afraid of something because if you're afraid of something and then you do it, you overcome that fear. Well, now you're afraid of the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. And actually, people who live their biggest, best, most amazing lives keep on pushing against boundaries. And every time we push against boundaries, we go outside of our comfort zone and we get that fear. We get that anxiety. Mm-hmm. So actually, if you're thinking, oh, well, I'm going to listen to this episode and then I'm going to do some of the activities and I'm going to do some exercises and then I won't be afraid anymore. Mm-hmm. That's not the goal. The goal is not to get rid of the fear. The goal is to push through it. Exactly. I mean, that's one of the definitions of being brave. I mean, some people say, I wish I was brave, I wish I didn't feel fear. Well, you wouldn't be brave then, would you? The definition of brave is feeling fear and doing it anyway. Mm. And actually, a lot of people, you'll you'll find out, is that um, people you think, oh, that person's incredibly brave. And you you talk to them, it's like, no, people who do really scary stuff, they they still feel the fear, but they they do what they have to do. Mm. And going on to... um, Another point I, which is interesting to experience that a lot of very successful people, if you read there, and I'm not, I don't just mean money, I mean successful in art, successful in their career, or just successful in getting where they want to be in life, um, in whatever scope they want, or getting whatever they want out of life. If you were to look at their life story, what you'll see is it wasn't the case that they never failed, they just made all the right decisions. They actually probably, they probably made a lot of mistakes, and they had a lot of failures, But what happened was, one, they didn't let that failure stop them. So they didn't say, oh, it failed, I'm not going to try anymore. They they got back up and tried again. And two, and I think this is really critical, and it ties back to that quote from Dennis Wheatley when he said, failure should be our teacher. So in other words, they said, okay, I made a mistake here. Why did this happen? Why didn't this work? What can I learn from this? Um, So when I go back and try this again... I know a mistake not to make, so I'm one step closer to getting a version of this this thing I'm attempting, or this effort, or this this um, this attempt. I'm I'm a bit closer to getting a successful version of it now because mm. I know that there's one way that doesn't work, mm. so I'm not going to do that anymore. And I think that's important because if you, it's one thing to just say oh, I'm going to I'm going to press on regardless of how much I fail. That's good, but it's also critical to analyze what goes wrong if you do make a mistake and think to yourself, okay, what actually happened there? How can I apply the lessons learned in my life? And that seems to be a key of many people who are very successful in, what, in whatever term they want to define success in their life. They're, they're, they're people who learn, mm. and they're people who apply the lessons of failure. Yeah. And I think, you know, it, we, we can all kind of agree, I think, that most people feel some element of, fa- of fear or anxiety when they're trying something new. Whether it's, you know, whatever level that's on, most people fear that, feel that, you know, some form of, of, of anxiety. But I just wanted to read a quote from um, a book um, which I absolutely massively love. 
Um, and I would recommend for everybody to pick up. And I'm going to pick a couple of points out of this book. And it's actually called Feel the Fear and Do It Anyway. It's mm. a book by Susan Jeffries. If any of this is resonating with you, you must, must, must go and buy this book. It's bloody awesome. Anyway, there's a particular quote in here. If we understand that most people feel some kind of anxiety. So the, the quote is, if everybody feels fear when approaching something totally new in life, yet so many are out there doing it despite the fear, then we must conclude that fear is not the problem. Mm. So what I love about that quote, just to paraphrase it back, is that there are so many people out there who aren't scared of stuff, and yet they're doing it anyway. Mm. So for us to say, well, do you know what? I'm really scared of applying for a new job. I'm really scared of getting into a relationship and getting vulnerable. I'm really scared of going for that dream experience. Well, actually... That in itself is not a reason not to do it because other other people are doing it. Other people have exactly the same fear and yet they're doing it. Mm. So what we need to look at is it's not about addressing the fear itself. It's about how we go through the fear, Mm. even though it's still there, rather than getting rid of the fear itself. Yeah. And it actually reminds me of, to use a very extreme example, it reminds me of a lot of books I've read and a lot of accounts I've read of of men and women who've been in combat, who've Mm. been in war. And what you find from a lot of them is it's not about the fact that they're not afraid because it's basically there's no way to do what they do and not be afraid of some certain things. It's about the willingness to go do it anyway because you, you can't you can't go you know you can't walk into battle without taking a risk of failure mm. and you have to learn to do it anyway. You have to you know you have to accept that risk and accept that it might go wrong, but learn how to do it anyway. Now, that's a very extreme example, but let's scale it back. You know, you'd love to fall in love with someone. There's no way to go and find someone to fall in love with without opening yourself to the risk of that relationship failing. Mm. It's impossible. You can't do that. So if if you are saying, well, I'll only do things I'm not scared of or things that I can take the fear away from, you'll never do anything. And that's, as you were saying, so the, what we're looking for here is not necessarily ways to make you this incredibly unafraid badass who can do absolutely everything without any kind of elevated heart rate or feelings of dread. What we're going to try and do, a look, a look at ways for you to say, okay, this is scary to me, but I'm going to do it anyway, even though I'm kind of scared. Um, and that's actually how human psychology works. Because to be chances are, if you actually genuinely met a person who genuinely wasn't afraid of anything and didn't feel fear under any circumstances, there's probably something wrong with that person. There's probably something quite ag- abnormal in their psychology and you probably wouldn't want to be around them for too long. Mm. Um, so what we're going to do now, we, we've talked about why why you should really want to overcome this and force yourself into situations where you still feel fear, but you're going you're gonna to take action anyway. How? What are some ways that we can change our mindset regarding failure, Alice? And maybe some tips. This is what we're going to mm. discuss now. So... How can we start to get to grips with feeling the fear and doing it anyway? Well, one of the things that I really think, and, and you know, one of the reasons why I think the last couple of times we've talked on this podcast, we've started out with why do people feel this way? What, where has this come from? Mm. You know, just some kind of understanding, partly to, for our own heads and also partly so that people understand that, you know, this isn't just you. Lots and lots yeah. of people feel like this. You're not weird. It's okay. So understanding, I think, is, is a first, first point. And um, 
one of the things that's really interesting is to actually understand what it is we're actually afraid of. Okay. okay. And I'll explain what I mean by that. And I'm going to go back to this book that I recommended. Um, and I think if you, you think you mentioned, you might put the link for it. Yeah, I'm the... actually going to put the link for this book um, into the show notes. Feel the fear and do it anyway. So yeah. if you check the show notes, there'll be a link to the Amazon page for you to pick it, this up. It really is so good. So Feel the Fear and Do It Anyway by Susan Jeffries. She talks about understanding fear and how fear actually is one of three levels. Okay, so there's our level one fears, which are sort of the superficial fears. Then there's the next one down, which is uh, sort of what's going on under the surface. And then there's a level three fear, which is the fundamental fear. So I'm going to take an example. Okay, let's say um, level one fear. I'm frightened of getting into a relationship. Let's say that's our top fear. Okay. Okay. Now, that's our level one fear. Our level two fear is actually... I'm frightened of getting my heart broken. So it's not the getting into the relationship that's scary. It's Mm. actually the getting the heart broken that's scary. Mm. But then, so our level one fear, I'm frightened of getting into a relationship. Our level two fear, I'm frightened of getting my heart broken. Mm. Actually, the level three fear is I won't be able to handle it if I get my heart broken. So it's not the fact that we might get our heart broken. It's that we don't think we'll be able to handle it. And when you actually look at most of the fears that we have, fundamentally, when we break them down into that level one, so let's take another one. Level one, I'm um, afraid of public speaking. Okay. Level two, I'm afraid of public speaking because I'm afraid of rejection. Okay. Level three, I won't be able to handle the rejection. Okay. So if I can if I can put my own to see if I've understood this yeah. properly. So if I was going to start a business and I'm I'm afraid of starting my business, so I'm I'm it's it's hold the fear is holding me back. Mm. Level one, that the kind of what's bubbling on the surface of my brain is I'm afraid to start my own business. Mm. Level two is what's bubbling on what's bubbling under that, the real thing that's going on is I'm afraid I'm afraid that um this business will fail. Um and then the real core of that is I'm level three. I'm worried that I won't be able to handle it yeah. if this business fails. Exactly. Um, and it's really that level three that's driving everything else because most people who start a business are probably like, I, I have that fear lurking that it won't work. But if they have that confidence, but if what they're looking to develop maybe is that level three is to rather than saying, I'm, I'm afraid I won't be able to handle it, have, have a mindset that, well, if the business fails, I'll deal with it. Mm. I'll cope. Exactly. So, um, so fixing things at level three kind of automatically is going to take care of level one and level two. It's not going to make the yeah. fear go away, but it's going to make you feel I can I can deal with it. Yeah. And I think that understanding is really key because also what we're not saying there is we're not addressing the fact that We're not saying, ah, well, to make this fear go away, we need to guarantee that the business succeeds Mm. or we need to guarantee that you won't get your heart broken or we need to guarantee that you won't get rejected. That's not what we're saying here. We're still allowing for the fact that something might go wrong. Yeah. You know, the business might fail. You might get your heart broken. Any any one of these things could go wrong. Mm. But the point is, what we actually need to address is this point of if something goes wrong, I can handle it. Yeah. I can deal with it. And actually, as soon as we understand that and we get down to what the real fear is, fear a lot of the time actually is just down to our self-confidence, whether or not we believe that we can handle 
what happens if these things go wrong. Yeah. And I just think, so I read this book quite a few years ago and I keep coming back to it every now and then and I've dug it out again in advance of our conversation today. And I just think understanding those three levels of fear and actually getting to the core of what is it I'm actually afraid of. I'm not afraid of any of these things happening. I'm afraid that I won't be able to deal with it. Yeah. And that's interesting because would you say then, um, speaking from a life coach perspective, fear is one of the things that in a way, the more you fail, and this is not suggesting you should deliberately go out to screw up everything you touch, but the more you fail and the more you realize that it's not the end of the world, the mm. more it starts to address that level three. So, for example, if I've, if I've never started my own business and my fundamental fear is if it goes wrong, I won't be able to deal with it. One of the things I've noticed about many successful businessmen is at some point in their resume, there is actually a business that failed. Yeah. There's something that didn't work and lost them a lot of money or they ended up sleeping. I mean, worst case scenario, I know one guy said they basically ended up sleeping in his office because he lost his house. Mm. Um, and then it, he, for him, it was a huge learning experience and he was able to like not do that again because he knew what went wrong. But if you've gone through it once... So the, 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 the fear of someone who's like started three businesses and had one of them fail, he's probably, when he starts his fourth, he's probably also thinking, I really am scared this will fail. But if it does, well, I've been through it once and it wasn't the end of the world and here I am trying again. So, you know, it's not, it's not the end of the world here. I can deal with this. Um, and so generally in life, is it possible that the more, the more things we attempt – the failures that we experience, which are inevitable, that we still overcome and keep going, start to get that fear that we won't be able to cope with the failure under control. Yeah, absolutely. And I think there's a couple of really practical things that, that, that we can do as well. So the first thing we can think about is think about something that you used to be scared of. Okay. Think about something that when you originally thought of doing it, it was like, oh, you know, it might be driving a car when we first passed our test and we took the car mm. out for the first time. Yeah. Yeah. We might have been absolutely terrified. Or maybe, um, maybe now um, you are really proficient in your job, but you were really nervous the first day you mm. went in. You didn't really know what you were doing. Think about things that you used to be scared of. Think about when you were scared of leaving the Jehovah's Witnesses. It, exactly. Exactly. Mm. Something that used to be really terrifying. And now you look back and think, meh, well, you know, I do that every day and I don't mm. even think about it. So that's the first thing is have a little think about stuff that you used to be terrified of and now you don't even think about. And then the second point is if we're thinking about this idea of, you know, fear is fundamentally a fear of I won't be able to handle whatever mm. it is when something yeah. goes wrong, write a list of all the times you've handled it when something's gone wrong. Big and small. Think of a time or all the times in your life, and I guarantee you there are so many more than you can come up with just off the top mm. of your head. If you yeah. really think about it, think about all the times that something's gone wrong and you've dealt with it. It's been all right. You've muddled your way through. You know, nothing awful has happened. You came out the other side. Yeah. And by reminding ourselves that actually I can handle this thing because I handled all the other things, mm. it's a really, really powerful tool. Yeah. I think it's interesting as well because you like. I think also if you remember how you, some people I know this is true for myself always draw worst case scenarios in mm. their brain, um, and what's interesting is m most of the time that worst case scenario never comes to pass. Even if things do go a little bit off the rails and uh, you end up in a scenario where okay this isn't this isn't going the way I planned, it, chances are it's not a case that everything is on fire the way you assumed it might go. Mm. Um, so. 
and I, I think that because I think there are some people I know if you are prone to drawing worst case scenarios and you have a Jehovah's Witness upbringing, you have a lot of you have a lot of stuff kind of to overcome. But that's certainly one thing to keep in mind is if you think you, you, if the first response is oh this is all going to go wrong in the worst way possible, well how many times in your life has that really happened? And even if there is one or two times in your life where that really happened, well you're still here. You got through it. It might have sucked, but you came out the other end and you got through it. Mm-hmm. So this is a way you can start to build confidence in your ability to make a decision, even though you're a bit scared of what might happen, and have confidence that even if it goes goes off the rails a little bit, it's solvable. Mm-hmm. There's a workable solution for it. Yeah. And also, I think, you know, stop thinking. A lot of the times we think of things in a very binary point of view. Let's say that we've got a decision to make that's in front of us. Mm. And we can either make, sometimes we think to ourselves, I'm either going to make the right decision or the wrong decision. And because of that, we get analysis paralysis because we're looking at what we're doing and we are so terrified of making the wrong choice. That's actually the name of my indie rock band, Analysis Paralysis. <laughs> um, we've got our first album coming out soon, so stay tuned for that. <laughs> I want royalties for that. <laughs> um, we're so terrified of making the wrong decision that we see things in a binary. If I, you know, Whichever one of these choices I make, there's the option for it to be right or the option for it to be wrong. Mm. Whereas actually, if yeah. we get away from this idea of one choice is right and one choice is wrong and see them both as opportunities to grow, to experience, to learn, to have a great, uh, you know, a a great experience on the way, you know, on the journey. If we can get away from it being right or wrong, which Mm. obviously, again, is different with a JW, difficult with a JW upbringing because we're brought up to think that everything is right or wrong. If we can muddle a little bit of grey in there, okay, maybe things didn't work out exactly how I thought they were going to be, but damn, it was a hell of a ride. Yeah. You know, and, and, and that way, getting away from right and wrong choices to interesting choices, different choices, yeah. choices that give us something. Uh, it's interesting. It comes back to a mindset, which I've heard various, various people who talk about this. Um, there's different phrases and different ways it's named. Some people call it the yes mindset. Some people call it the good mindset. But it's a way that when, when, when things maybe, when you make a decision that doesn't work out the way you planned, say, yeah, great, good. Because what you're doing is you're learning something. Um, and things that you are now learning things you can take away and apply to something else. Or maybe it's opened up new opportunities. Or maybe it's given you a greater experience of something else. Hi everybody, Covert Fade here. So at this point I had to cut about 10 seconds of audio because uh, our friend with the power tools got a little bit trigger happy and uh, you couldn't really hear what I was saying. But don't worry, you've only missed about 10-15 seconds of me waffling. Back to the show. And so it's sometimes it's a bit of a cliched phrase to say, oh it's character building. But the reality is to go through life trying things and having some things go a bit off the rails or not work out the way you want often does give you a much deeper perspective on life and kind of refines your qualities as a person. There's, um, I know we mentioned him on the last podcast, but again, uh, Tim Ferriss, the guy who, um, who uh, interviews successful people. And one of the interesting questions he always asked them was, what was your most useful failure? Mm. Something that went didn't go according to plan, but set you up for later success because it taught you something or gave you an opportunity that later, you know, was massively useful and successful. 
And the answers he gets to that, he gets from that are amazing because some of them really are that, you know, the person tried something and on the surface it all went horribly wrong, but actually it was the best thing that could have possibly happened for them because they learned from it and then applied it or it opened up opportunities that you never saw coming or it taught them something about what they really wanted in life and they realized that what they've been trying for, actually this failure made me realize I don't want this at all. And because I've had this failure now, I'm not going to waste 10 years of my life trying to do something that wouldn't make me happy. Now I actually know what I want. So retrospectively, when they look back, they say that failure was the best thing that ever happened to me. And when you kind of like reset your brain to view failure in that way, it becomes much less of a scary concept. And like you, I like the way you said it's more like it's a journey that you're on. Mm. And now you can kind of think, oh, okay, this, this journey isn't going where I thought it was going, but it's kind of interesting where it's taking mm. you. Let's, let's see where this goes. Mm. And I think that comes back to this, this building in ourselves by reminding ourselves of all the times that we have handled it when things go wrong. Yeah. Telling ourselves and building our trust that we will be able to handle it when things go wrong. And that also gives us the opportunity to just sit back and enjoy the journey. Mm. Rather than being, as you mentioned a a moment ago, there are people who just see the worst case scenario and all they can see is it going wrong. And that causes so much stress and anxiety. Whereas actually, when we learn to trust ourselves, not trust ourselves to get it right all the time, Mm. but trust ourselves to be able to handle it, no matter what happens, all of a sudden we can say, well, this is going a bit different. Yeah. I didn't expect this to happen, but I'm going to enjoy it on the way because whatever happens, wherever I come out, I'll deal with it. It'll be fine. Yeah, absolutely. And as like you say, sometimes some things are quite interesting because when, when they're going wrong and going through them, they feel quite stressful, but they actually make the best stories to tell a year oh, later. Oh, God, yes. And if you think, I want you people, if you're listening to this, think back. Some of the things in your life that at the time, you, when, when they were happening to you, they were not fun, but now... You kind. This is the story you tell when everyone's sat around at the pub and stuff's going on, and every, this is the story that grips people and gets laughter or everything else because it's made your life richer. And that's that's one good way I've I I found of mindsetting when things are going a bit crazy and stressful as well. You know, a year from now, this is going to make a great story. Mm. And also, if you think about it, now I, I'm I'm fairly certain that we all know somebody like this. Is there somebody in your life? who tells stories where they're always the hero and everything always goes perfectly. <laughs> you, know, you know the kind of person that I'm talking yeah. about. Well, you know, I did this and it was perfect. And then I did this and everyone said, jolly good show. And then I did this and I did it absolutely amazingly. Yeah. And then I got promoted and then I got the girl. La, la, la. Are they dull as dishwater? Yes. And aren't they really bloody annoying? Yes. Actually, who wants to listen to those people? Because there's no character to them. There's no depth to them. Now, I'm really sorry if you are one of those persons listening to this where genuinely everything goes right in your life. I feel very happy for you. I don't think you exist. You're like a purple unicorn as far as I'm concerned because you do not bloody exist. What we want, you know, and what's interesting, think about the people that you actually enjoy hanging around with. Mm. They talk about their mistakes. They talk about that time that they got really drunk and ended up naked in the middle of the road. Mm. You know, stuff that goes wrong makes us interesting. Yeah, absolutely. And there's, we've been talking about sort of ways we can adjust our mindset. And one of the other things I was going to ask you, Alice, because I know as a life coach, one of the, a lot of the things you do is about adjusting mindset, but there's also a lot of methodologies that you talk about that people can actually bring yeah. to the table here. There's actually yeah. things you can practice and things yeah. you can do to kind of get yourself out of this rut of being 
so afraid of failure that you're not embracing your goals and the things you want in your life. So can you take us through maybe a couple of things that people might might try and make? might kind of look at absolutely so the first thing was what i mentioned uh, a moment ago which Mm. is if we are fundamentally scared that we're not going to be able to handle stuff Mm. this comes back to a little bit of journaling which we talked about before i want you to write down all the times you handled stuff i want you to write down everything yeah it went wrong and i was okay i bodged it i made it through it actually was a triumph at the end Mm. of it because that in itself will start to rebuild our confidence in ourselves, in our decision making processes and just confidence that we'll be all right everything will be okay so so so, so, yeah so so if you're listening one thing is get your journal Mm. um and hopefully you've been experimenting with journaling and finding it useful but so make that list that alice was was talking about of all the times things went wrong Mm. And how you handle it. Yeah. And spend, what, about 10, 15 minutes? As long, so the, oh, thi- okay. the, thing, the thing with journaling is you keep writing until there's nothing left to say. Cool. Which okay. sounds quite profound when I say it like that. That was very good. But yeah. yeah, grab yourself just a nice blank page on your journal and just keep writing. And when you get to the end and you think you might be done, ask yourself, what else? And keep going until there's nothing left to say. And that's a principle of journaling. Obviously, if you're stuck for time, you know, I don't want you to think, oh, I've only got 10 minutes, I can't start journaling. That's okay. Mm -hmm. But in perfect world, just keep going until there's nothing left to say. Okay. So what else might someone do if they're just like perpetually in this, you know, analysis paralysis, first album coming out soon, uh, we're touring and the single will be available on BBC One. Uh, (laughs) If they're in a situation of analysis paralysis... I'm just going to keep saying that. Sorry, I love that phrase. You really like that phrase now, don't you? You've stolen it from me. Sorry, sorry. to get get myself back on track, be be professional, be professional, (laughs) Cover. If somebody is in that perpetual state of being so paralysed by that fear that they're not making that decision, is there anything in that moment that they can do to kind of just break through that wall? Absolutely. So what we're doing here, so we're talking about long-term mindset changes, but sometimes we just need a quick short, sharp, kick up the arse to do something. Mm. Um, And this is something that I've picked up from Mel Robbins, who is a really inspirational, uh, motivational uh, speaker. She's a mindset guru. She's absolutely amazing. And she talks about the 54321 rule. Mel Robbins. Mel Robbins. Uh, And I think it's melrobbins.com. And she also has something called the 54321 rule website or something like that. This is, you know, this is pretty... the reason it's it's everywhere is because it bloody works. So what she talks about is if you get an urge or an instinct to do something that you know is in line with a goal, mm-hmm. but it might be something you're afraid of doing. So let's say, I don't know why I keep coming back to relationships, but let's say mm-hmm. you're standing in a bar, you see a pretty girl across the room or a pretty guy across the room, mm-hmm. uh, and you have an urge to go and talk to them. You count down. Five, four, three, two, one one and you go and you Mm. move you make a physical movement Uh, now i say physical movement i don't mean grab them that's not what i'm saying but some form of physical movement and what that does is because anything more than five seconds our brain has a wonderful way of talking us out of things Mm. our brain will say you know there'll be a little devil on our shoulder or a little devil in the back of our head that will pop up and say no you really don't want to do that you're going to get hurt or it's going to go wrong or blah Mm. blah blah so by literally counting down five four three two one go Mm. you don't allow your brain to talk yourself out of it at the end of the one then you also need to make some kind of physical movement 
So if it's something that you are going to, I don't know, go to the gym, you actually get up. Mm. If you are going to book or, or put yourself forward for some public speaking, you get up and you go mm. to your laptop to book it or you pick up your phone. Whatever it is, you know, and it depends on, on that goal and what it is you're going to do. But after the one, you do something movement, which basically then pulls your body mm. into supporting your brain. Okay. So then when you've got brain and body moving towards the exact same thing, that's when we get the best, the, 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 best, um, the best chance of actually following yeah. through. So it's actually, it's actually a method of kind of hacking your own neurology. Yeah. It's the fact that when you are combining a decision with a physical movement, mm. you're actually kind of short-circuiting your own fear because your brain and your body are moving at the same time. And, and hey, now the decision's underway, so we're just going to go and roll with this and see what happens. Because we're yeah. overcoming that analysis paralysis. Mm-hmm. Yes, all right, very funny. <laughs> I, I, I'm struggling. <laughs> Um, you're overcoming the analysis process because you're actually doing something. Mm. So many times, the decision to act is that there's a there's a famous quote here that I can't possibly put my finger on. It's in the back of my head, but the 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 um, it's something about that the hardest part is the decision to act. Yeah. Everything after that is just uh, tenacity or something mm. like that. I can't remember exactly what the quote is. I'll find it and we can put it in the the, the notes. Mm. But once you've made that decision. Everything kind of snowballs from there. It's that initial kind of getting out of our inertia and actually doing something. And then everything kind of follows on from there. So that would be my real sort of quick tip. On a long term, we need to address some of the mindset stuff that's going on. But for a real quick tip, the next time, and we all get them, you've got that gut feeling of, I really want to go and do Mm. that, but I'm scared. I don't know. Da, da, da. Five, four, three, two, one, move. Okay, cool. So that's that's very useful. It's funny. It reminds me of a phrase. I um, it's actually a mantra that I have when I'm ever in a, a moment of being paralysed by fear. Um, it's actually from a, a fantasy novel I read. There's a, there's a writer called Joe Abercrombie who writes fantastic. Um, think of Lord of the Rings meets a sarcastic Tarantino movie. Okay. Now, now that either sounds like your thing or it doesn't. But there's a great phrase in there that one of these a character who's this very kind of depressed um kind of run down battered barbarian always has he says when he's about to do something crazy or stupid he says well it's better to do it than live with the fear of it mm. and i think that's actually a great mantra something like that which is a something i mean i love the idea of the five four three two one mm. and i think maybe also that mantra is a great thing think to yourself well it's better to do it than live with the fear of it mm. um is there anything else? I mean, I noticed you you discussed earlier that concept of looking at a decision not in terms of right or wrong, but in terms of opportunities or paths. Is there a word or a name for that concept? Or a... um, yeah, I mean, you can essentially make no lose decisions. You, okay, you, you're looking at a decision at the no lose model, okay. um, which is looking at a decision from and and, and what we do sort of the before is we look at a decision and we say, right, I've got choices. Mm. And one of them's going to be right yeah. and one of them's going to be wrong. Yeah. So in the simplest possible um, expression of that, we've got a 50% chance of messing it up. Yeah. Whereas actually, if we look at it from a no-lose point of view, we say, well, if we make this choice, mm. a load of stuff will happen and we'll experience a load of stuff down the, down, down the mm. way. And I can guarantee you, the one thing I will absolutely guarantee you is you won't end up exactly where you thought you would. 
because life doesn't work that way life is not linear life takes you on detours and round the block and god knows where you're going to end up but if i go that way i've got this experience if i go that way i've got this experience neither is necessarily right or wrong they're just different experiences and okay one of them might bring me closer to my goal than the other but that's okay because whatever happens wherever i end up i'll handle it yeah it's fine So looking at things from a no-lose point of view, whatever happens, it's going to be fine and it's going to add to my life. It's going to enhance my life. So when you're looking at that decision, the the mindset is really like, um, rather than saying, oh, what's going to go right or what's going to go wrong, is is how either either way is like interesting things Mm. are going to come out of it. Whichever choice you make, um, it's going to be valuable. Yeah. Um, And that, again, that helps take, take that fear of failure a little bit away. Yeah. One thing I thought I heard, which was quite good, I can't remember where I heard this now, but I actually really like the idea. Um, and I'm going to try it and report back because I haven't tried it yet. But um, I'm going to try this and let you know, let you guys know how it goes on the next um, the next forwardcast. The fear of failure is often overcome, like say, a fear of shame and a fear of awkwardness and a fear of getting out of your comfort zone. And it can be especially hard if we like our comfort zones and we're very bad at making ourselves feel uncomfortable or awkward or maybe in public, like say, if you're public speaking Mm. if you've got a real nervousness about how you're perceived in public um there's something called the starbucks challenge and what you do is you walk into somewhere like starbucks or a restaurant or somewhere anywhere somewhere where there are people um oh my god what happens (laughs) what you do is you lie on the floor for about 20 seconds so just don't make a big song and dance of it don't just just walk into starbucks you know everyone's queuing up for coffee just lie down on the floor for 15 to 20 seconds. Don't say anything. If anyone asks you, don't say, oh, I'm doing a mindset challenge. Do anything. Just, just lie there for 15, 20 seconds. Have you done this? And then get back up, and I'm going to. I'm You're going, going, to, I'm do going this. to do this. And you get back up. And what you'll find, it sounds, it sounds like, oh, my God, that would be like so weird and bizarre. What you actually find is apparently is nothing happens. Um, most people, they might look at you and be, oh, that's a bit weird. But the world hasn't ended. Um, you know, the floor hasn't opened and swallowed you up. It's not, it's not the end of everything. What you've done is you've looked a bit strange in public, um, and so what? And it's it's a, quite an interesting exercise. I've, I'm going to try this because the idea is then that starts to get you over the fear of looking silly in public. Mm. And if you think about it, that fear of looking silly or having something weird happening in public probably stops you. I mean, when you don't go up and if that, that person you'd really like to go and talk to, probably part of it is the fear of looking silly in public that's mm. stopping you. That, 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 that ability to talk in public or that ability to to stand up and um in some way draw attention to yourself and the fear of that that might be getting in the way of a specific goal like you know if you want to become the lead singer of analysis paralysis but you can't stand the thought of, of standing you know being in front of a stadium and being in front of all those people or maybe something like the starbucks challenge can just help making you realize that looking a bit daft in public eh, it's not that important i'm I gonna try this that. Yeah. you're going to try this yeah I'm, I'm going to do this so with the next forward cast um, I'm going to have to report back to you guys and it'll be like I'm not allowed in any Starbucks again ever. yeah I, well when, <laughs> when you were saying you know go into a public place I was thinking oh Jesus what the hell happens next <laughs> <laughs> like you're going to get ejected from the public yeah. place for some form of like, uh, well, well your honour um, 
I was really, I, I, was, I, was, <laughs> I was researching a podcast, Your Honour. <laughs> no, well, I'm more worried about all the people who are going to listen to this and go and try it. And they're like, well, I was listening to a podcast with yeah. the, with Covert and Alice, and they told me to do this, and all of a sudden it's going to be our fault. Yeah. So maybe, I'll, I'll, I'll report back. I'll report back when I've tried it. Um, but yes, it's I quite like that idea. Yeah, no, and I, I really like that. And like you say, it's, and then that that then becomes one of the things that we can put on our list of things we handled. Exactly. I lay in on the floor in Starbucks for 20 seconds and I handled it. And people were looking at me really weird and I handled it. And somebody even asked me if I was okay. And I shrugged and said, yeah, I'm fine. And I handled it. Just having a rest. Just having a rest. (laughs) Apparently that's the suggestion. If someone's really like, are you okay? So yeah, I'm just having a rest. It's really hot and the floor's cool. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. (laughs) Because what what do you say to that? You go, okay. Yeah, exactly. you, You get up and you just continue as normal. They'd be like, Okay. Mind you, obviously being in Britain, most people would completely ignore what's going yeah. on on the basis that they don't want to draw attention to themselves yeah. by asking why you're drawing attention to yourself on the floor. There's a great, as a, as a slight diversion before we move on, there's a great um, writer called Douglas Adams. And he is a science fiction writer, but he was also, he was an amazing comedian and he came up with fantastic comic sci-fi concepts. And one of them was the somebody else's problem field. Mm. And this was a way of making things invisible by convincing everybody who was looking at the object that that object was somebody else's problem. (laughs) And so therefore, no one can see the object because you look at it and then your brain thinks, no, that's somebody else's problem and you just ignore it. So it kind of brought me back to that idea of like, especially in the UK, if something's going a bit weird, everyone else just thinks, oh, that's somebody else's problem. I can't even see that happening. Absolutely. Because the, one, one of the quintessential things about Britishness is we don't like to make a fuss and we don't yeah. like to draw attention to ourselves. Yeah. And so we're much more likely to ignore anything. Mm. We have that fear of failure, which we have to overcome. Yes, exactly. So that's, this is probably a subject we are going to return to. That's, what, your second, take a second shot? We've actually been quite good this podcast. We have. That one, that People twice. listening to this should not be uh, inebriated in the slightest. No, we haven't been no. getting them to drink no, at all. What a no. shame. So, <laughs> so we're going to move on now to some questions. We are going to return to this this subject at a later date, but hopefully that's given everyone some mindsets and some exercises and just generally a way to try and get out of a potential fear of failure that's stopping them from getting what they want out of life. So we have a listener question um, to deal with today, Alex. This question was uh, given to us on Twitter by April Forbes uh, at Le Great Escape. Le underscore great underscore escape. I think that's Le Great le, Escape. Le? Is it? Le, if we're going to be, you know. Wouldn't it be Le Escape Grand? Ooh, L'Escape Grand. L'Escape Grand. <laughs> oh, look, it's funny. It's spelled just like escape. Escape. <laughs> escape. <laughs> Sorry, that's a little Finding Nemo. Uh, uh, just keep diving. Just keep Just Yes. Um, anyway, yes. L- l- well, now that we've uh, basically shat all over your Twitter handle. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so that, now, that, now that we've completely um, mutilated the French language and also Disney, uh, Disney films, um, this is actually a really good question. And there's actually a third shot coming up because she's dealing with a topic that we are going to try and cover in more detail later on. But take a drink. A, take a drink. But this is a really good question, so we're just going to see if we can cover it briefly. Um, Here we go. April says, Once I realised Paradise Earth was not real, 
I then became obsessed with my own mortality, and paranoid that I was going to die young without a fairy tale ending. I'm slightly better now, but do you think this is something a lot of XJWs go through? And how do you combat those feelings? I think that's a really great question. It is, um, yeah. Alice, can I, can I turn that over to you first to get your feedback on that? Mm. So, funnily enough, um, this, I think it's a really great question, but it's not something that I feel that I ever really went through. Um, it was never. I, I never had that moment of um, suddenly addressing my own mortality in contrast to the idea of the fact, you know, I was going to live forever. And I don't know whether the reason for that was because I'm not sure I ever 100% believed the paradise anyway. Hmm. So I think I don't. I, I don't think I had that kind of. Oh my God! Now there's not going to be a paradise, and therefore addressing my own mortality. I think I certainly do from you know the point of view that everybody does, regardless of you know what kind of upbringing and how religious they may or may not be. From the point of view of oh my God, I'm this age. I haven't accomplished lots of the things I wanted to do, and then also thinking about mortality and the fact that there will come a point when you're not here anymore. You know, mm-hmm. one of those fundamental truths. So it's it certainly, you know, certainly have those feelings for mortality, but not deliberately as a contrast to the the leaving. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, from a from a purely sort of um, coaching point of view and thinking about how we can move forward. Um, something that's always really powerful and we always start with is motivational goals. So, okay, we need to come to terms with the fact that maybe our life isn't going to be how we thought it was going to be. Maybe we're not going to be, you know, living forever in paradise earth, playing with lions and tigers and, Mm. you know, all of that. So what are we going to do with it? What are we going to replace that with? What are we going to replace that vision with? And then dream big. What's your biggest, most amazing life? What do you want to do? You know, let yourself dream. Let yourself think about how you actually want your life to be. And then write out your goals. Get specific. Lots of us, if we've worked in, you know, business or whatever, we know about setting smart goals. They should be specific, measurable, attainable, relevant, and timely. So we want to write down the how, the when, the why, the what. And then we want to get really, really involved in how we will feel when we get there. Emotion is our greatest motivation. So don't just write out the dry goal. Then get into how's it going to feel? What will you see? What will you smell? What will you taste? What are the emotions going to be when you're there, when you fulfilled that goal? And so by creating a goal that we're just as excited about, possibly even more excited about than the living forever in a paradise earth with you know all the pictures that we all grew up with in the live forever book and whatever which don't get me wrong it was all very beautiful but wasn't it a bit boring actually set yourself a goal that excites you replace that vision with something else and then throw yourself into it cool that's that's really good advice thank you Hi everyone, Covert Fade here. So unfortunately, um, when it came time for me to answer the question from April Forbes, our friend with the jackhammer and the power tools in the background got quite enthusiastic with his job. So when I listened back to the audio, um, he drowned me out on a couple of occasions. So what I'm going to do is reread my answer because I actually wrote my answer to this question down because it was an excellent question. I wanted to kind of clarify my thoughts and get my answer as accurate as possible. So what I did in the original audio was read my answer out. 
uh, and I'm going to do that again for you now, hopefully with less jackhammers. So this is the answer to the question about how, you know, as XJWs, we come to terms with our own mortality and the fact that we're not going to have forever in a paradise anymore. One of the most painful and damaging lies that Watchtower tells its followers is that their time is infinite. That we will literally have forever to live to follow our dreams, to be with the people we love, to live the lives we want to live. Even worse, they use this lie as an excuse to make you postpone all of these things. Don't follow your dreams now. Put the people you love in second place. Put it all on hold. Don't live your life. You can have all of it forever, they say, if you right now do what we tell you to do, love who we tell you to love, and dream what we tell you to dream. Yet, the ugly truth is that the tomorrow Watchtower promises will never come. Everything we have will one day end. Our health, our relationships our dreams, and our lives. In some ways, waking up from Jehovah's Witness indoctrination is like being told that we have a terminal illness. We thought that we would have forever, yet instead we have only a comparatively short period of time. It can be very distressing. It can be heartbreaking. In some ways, we may need to walk the same path of grieving and acceptance as someone who has been given that medical diagnosis of a terminal illness. Life is short, that is tragic, and that is frightening. But it's also wonderful. Because it means that, like all limited resources, time becomes precious. Limited time makes us treasure every moment we have with the people we love because we know that those moments are limited and special. Limited time makes us work hard and achieve our dreams today because we know those dreams have an expiration date. Limited time makes us evaluate how we're spending our days now because we know the sand in this hourglass only runs one way. So ask yourself, how are you spending your time? Are you using it? Building relationships with those that you love and making this world a better place for having you? Are you deciding on the path you want to walk and putting into action a plan to walk it? Are you filling your life with meaningful experiences that you can carry with you on the journey and that you can look back upon fondly when you come to journey's end? Or are you wasting it, squandering it, postponing your dreams and your hopes and sitting on the sofa telling yourself, I'll do it tomorrow? Well, one day there won't be a tomorrow. So get out there now and live your life today.
So that brings us to the, uh, the end of our third Forwardcast episode. So, Alice, thank you so much for joining us again. Thank you for having me again. No worries. And uh, hopefully next time uh, I'll have a story of how I was thrown out of Starbucks and never allowed back. And hopefully you'll let us know how Analysis Paralysis are getting on with their initial world tour. We've had loads of problems with the drummer. The guy, just he's, he's in his hotel room. We think he's been taking substances. He's thrown the TV out the window. It's a nightmare, honestly. So that was episode three of the Forwardcast. As usual, huge thanks to Alice Cheshire. Um, you can find her on Twitter at thealicechesh.com. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Covert Fade. Um, Alice's uh, timeline has more cats than mine does. So if you like cats, you want to check out Alice. Um, I'd just like to say, first of all, a massive thank you um, for all the feedback we got from the first two episodes. It's been really nice to hear, hear that from everyone. And also a massive thank you to everyone who's left us reviews and star ratings on the various um, platforms they listen to us on. That's awesome. That really helps kind of push us up the charts. So thank you so much for doing that. I just want to chat a little bit about some cool stuff we've got coming up for you on the Forwardcast. Um, we've got a couple of really interesting interviews that I'm very excited about and I hope to be releasing more details of those soon. Um, Alice and I also hope to be seeing the the upcoming film Apostasy. Um, I'll definitely be seeing it. I think Alice will as well. Um, It's basically, if you've not heard of that, it's a new film coming out that's set inside a Jehovah's Witness family. It's directed by a former Jehovah's Witness and apparently it's been getting amazing reviews in all the um, all the mainstream press. Um, it does an amazing job of capturing the look and feel of JW life, as well as showcasing some of the moral dilemmas and the issues that JWs have to face. So once I, I've seen it, and hopefully if Alice can see it as well, we'll we, maybe we'll do a review and discuss our thoughts on, on the film on a, maybe a special forward cast. Additionally, um, I'm looking to do a couple of standalone episodes that is just me talking to you. Now, that may be a good or a bad thing, uh, depending on your opinion. Please don't write in and tell me. Um, But the the idea was I want to do a a podcast about fading because originally I wasn't going to discuss on the forwardcast anything to do with the process of leaving the Jehovah's Witnesses. Uh, because in my mind, the process of leaving, that, that wasn't what this podcast was about. It was about what happens after you leave. But a lot of people have pointed out to me that um, the process of fading and the process of you know also coping with being shunned for some people isn't something that ends when you leave. It's an ongoing part of your, your life going forward. So what I'm going to do, um, I was originally going to do one episode that talked about some tips for fading and then also sort of talked about my own fade and the problems I faced and told you a little bit about my story. The problem was every time I tried to record it, the two halves didn't work very well. Um, the tips about fading kept tripping over the, the sort of the discussion of my life and it, it didn't really work. So I'm actually going to split this into two episodes. I'm going to do one podcast that's entirely about tips and tricks for successfully fading and also for continuing your fade into the future because some people will be looking to maintain that fade for years possibly. Um And also I'll do a second episode that's about my fade and a little bit about me for those who are curious. Uh, My story isn't that interesting, to be honest, but um, I thought it, you know, I thought people are sometimes curious, so it might be interesting to talk about it. So something else I'm really excited about is we have a new reward for you on Patreon. Um, 
For those of you who are perhaps not aware of what Patreon is, it's a way for you to support uh, the podcast financially um, to help us grow and to help us to meet the, the costs involved in creating it. Um, what you can do is go to Patreon slash Covert Fade, uh, patreon.com slash Covert Fade, and you'll see the page there. And the idea is that you can um, pledge a certain amount of support every month. Uh, the minimum is, is $1 uh, and the maximum is $10. And in return, you get lots of cool rewards. So you get everything from early access to forecast episodes to access to bonus Patreon-only content. Uh, you get the ability to vote on forwardcast topics. You get the ability to be involved in various Q&As. Um, it's basically our way of saying thank you to you for supporting us. But we've got a new reward there at the $10 level. And because I was racking my brains trying to think of a good reward, something that would be genuinely useful to XJWs. So I looked at my own life and I thought, you know, what, what kind of sucks about my own life that I wish wasn't the case? And this might sound a little silly, but... Um, when it comes to Christmas and birthdays, everyone I kind of know now, they get a shelf full of cards at Christmas and birthday, um, but I only get like one or two cards. Um, and for me, it's actually a little bit, I wish I had more cards on my mantelpiece and it's a bit of a, yeah, it's a little bit depressing. So what I thought I'd do is if you um, pledge support for us at the $10 a month um, uh, level, not only will you get all the rewards of all the previous tiers, uh, including a handwritten thank you card from me, um, but also uh, on Christmas and on your birthday, I will send you a Christmas and a birthday card. Uh, and it won't just be a Dear X, Happy Birthday, Covert Fade. I'll actually write something meaningful in this because I know what it's like trying to build up the circle of friends um, when you leave. Um, and until you get that circle grown a bit, it can feel a bit lonely at Christmas and birthday. So if you pledge support at the $10 level, um, not only will you get that handwritten thank you card, but you'll get a handwritten Christmas and a birthday card from Covert Fade. Of course, there's lots of other ways you can support us as well. Uh, you can leave us reviews and star ratings on your podcast app or your media platform of choice. You can share the podcast on social media, talk about it with family and friends. But to be honest, one of the main ways you can thank us is just kind of listening to the podcast, working out what information is useful to you and how it might help you to enhance your own life and just get out there and live the best life you can possibly live for you because we only get one shot at this. So think about what you want out of life, put a plan into action to make it happen and make it a life worth living. Mm -hmm.